Welcome to episode 4 of the Albuzangani Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, Roger Browning here. Um, welcome back. This week's discussion is uh, the first in a series of mini tutorials on the topic of patient blood management and specifically how it relates to obstetrics and gynaecology. Well, some of this will be relevant to other patient groups. Hopefully you find it enjoyable. It was uh, inspired by some of the teaching that I've been giving to some of the uh, medical staff in the institution I work in. And, uh, I thought I would try and share some of it to a wider audience. Quick disclaimer, this is all educational and designed to create interest and awareness and uh, inspire you to explore this topic yourself. Please don't use it uh, or misinterpret it as specific clinical advice without using your own common sense judgment before applying it in your own practice. Um, A quick plug, go to bloodsafelearning.org.au log on and register and do some of their courses. You'll learn everything and more, uh, everything that I can tell you and more. These are really good courses and um, some s- specific obstetric ones there for those who are just into obstetrics. But there's also some really good ones that, are, that I um, found useful on iron deficiency, anemia, perioperative, critical bleeding, etc. Alright, so any sort of mini tutorial series on patient blood management has to surely has to start with a quick um, blurb on why what is patient blood management and why should we even bother with it the truth is that I can't really give it justice in a short space of time and I want to keep these um, discussions to 10 minutes or so to make them more palatable for you guys so rather than um, spend too much time on this what I want to do is ask you to go to the National Blood Authority website and you go to their patient blood management page and click on this five minute YouTube video here which is very thorough and professional and explains everything in much more detail than I ever could. And if uh, if that's all you get out of this uh, listening to this talk then um, that's probably all that really matters. For those of you who are still listening and haven't turned off my recording already, um, I'm going to try and summarise it. Uh, or at least make a case for what is patient blood management in the next few minutes. Um, but I reckon this video is better than me, so please go there and listen to it. So, what is patient blood management? Basically, it's a recognition that the transfusion of blood, i.e. stored red cells, but other products as well, that have been taken from someone else, undergo changes, complex biological changes, and then when you reinfuse these into a recipient, there is a host of um, complex biological changes that occur which are not um, obvious, and many of these are actually harmful to the recipients. And it's basically a change in philosophy where we should be um, much more cautious about how we uh, decide to transfuse patients and be much more aware of the limitations of blood products themselves. I hope that's a good definition for anyone who's um, involved in patient blood management arena. There's probably a more defined definition than that, but that's a sort of, I think, it's the idea across. Um, there's some really good 
evidence-based modules which specifically sort of go into some really pragmatic and um, detailed advice on how to apply patient blood management in all these different six different settings. Some of these are more relevant than others to obstetrics and gynaecology. It's not just the obstetrics and maternity module. The perioperative one is very relevant for gynaecological surgical patients and elderly patients having gynaecological or oncology surgery. And obviously critical bleeding and massive transfusion is a big thing as well. Um, that guideline, by the way, does not have um, anything on goal-directed therapy like the use of Rotem. So um, although it is very useful, you probably um, I would like to make a short plug that you go and um, learn a bit about that as well. Um, hopefully the next edition will um, reflect some of the uh, advances in that area. So what happens when you transfuse stored blood into a recipient? Does it, how does it, does it really improve um, oxygen delivery in the tissues? So there's a great, these are some still shots, but there's a great little um, video or clip in the National Blood Authority YouTube video showing the stored red cells clogging up the microcirculation in a patient an anemic patient who's received a um, blood transfusion. So now that's a nice, really graphical demonstration that giving a transfusion to someone, let's say for example someone's got a hemoglobin of 59 and we give them a couple of bags of blood, up it comes to about 80. We start slapping ourselves on the back and f um, thinking we've done a good job. Well, in fact, you know, we always need to start sort of questioning our mental model that we use when we... Um, when we're applying this therapy to a patient's, you know, I guess the old mental model would be that we're thinking hemoglobin's low, oxygen delivery to the tissues is low, that's bad, that could lead to bad outcomes. Let's give them some extra hemoglobin, let's increase their tissue oxygen delivery. Surely that's going to mean that they're going to, they're going to improve their organ function, they're going to feel better, they're going to get up, they're going to go home, they're going to have less infections, etc. In fact, as you will see, you should be questioning that model because a lot of the time and a lot of the evidence out is that in fact that probably is not true. <clears throat> so transfusion of stored allogenic blood, does it really help all the time? Um, does it really increase oxygen delivery to the tissues which are, and to the, more specifically to the mitochondria? Well that's, I mean that's really why we're giving it so if, if there's some questions about that, the efficacy of it in um, in that arena then we really should be questioning everything. <coughs> we know that it contains antigens and white cells from the donor and it has a multitude of um, effects on the immune system of the recipient which many of which may potentially be harmful. It can cause or stimulate antibody formations. Long-term implications in um, our patients for example could be the future pregnancies affected by hemolytic disease of the newborn, difficulty cross-matching blood for the mother, especially high-risk mothers um, who may need blood transfusions uh, if they experience critical bleeding. Anaphylaxis, hemolytic reactions, seeing someone die from a reaction to O negative, not in the obstetric arena. Lung injuries, strong association with increased lung injury the more blood you receive. More time on ventilator, ventilators in ICU. Infections, wound infections, cancer occurrence, all of these are um, longer term things are associated with poor outcomes if you receive blood transfusions at the time of surgery or um, um, hospitalization. So we should really be questioning, uh, you know, there sh 
shouldn't be using widespread transfusion as a, as a treatment for anemia and we should be trying to um, investigate alternative methods uh, of managing and improving our patients. And that's what patient blood management is. So these things are basically common sense and simple and if they're applied in a um, systematic manner, work. Uh, the rate of transfusion drops and patients do just as well or if not better. So pillar one is basically optimizing the red cell mass. Identifying patients who are anemic or iron deficient before they have their baby or their big operation and fixing it up before they get there. So that if they do lose some blood, they're much more able to cope with it and don't need to be transfused. Minimize blood loss both during delivery and or, or major surgery. Um, there's a whole heap of things you can do to, to, um, to correct that. And then the management of anemia. We shouldn't always just immediately jump to transfusion as the um, solution. There are lots of other things you can do. And many patients have very good cardiovascular and cardiopulmonary function and they can actually cope with anemia for a short period of time as long as um, they're then allowed to correct their anemia themselves. So, I'm probably at risk of going over time, but here... Just want to point out um, the, the, the structure of these um, patient blood management guidelines the National Blood Authority have produced, and these really useful pragmatic sort of um, practice points is how they summarise things. If you have a look at the whole guideline, yeah, it's got, and for those of you who want to read the evidence behind it, then you will realise that the levels of evidence for everything is pretty low, um, not unlike other areas of medicine, but the practice points are pretty pragmatic and common sense I think. So I'm going to skip over this, um, we're not going to talk about that because what we're talking about really is not someone who's bleeding to death where I don't think there's any debate that transfusion can save someone's life if they're having a massive hemorrhage. What I'm talking about, um, and a quick plug, go and have a look at Rotom and Gold Erector Therapy. What we're talking about is transfusing stable patients who are not bleeding and are not hypovolemic. Now, how do you decide when to give a transfusion? say for example a patient with menorrhagia who's coming to the clinic and is quite anemic or someone who had um, um, anemia during pregnancy and has had some postpartum or peripartum bleeding and is now stable not bleeding but is anemic so the first things that some of these I'm just going to highlight a couple of these practice points give hope maybe give you food for thought maybe you already know all about this and are um, already um, won over by the concept of blood management that you're, you're a believer already but this is what the National Blood Authority guideline says no uh, so, so number four maternity patients who are not actively bleeding don't use the hemoglobin concentration alone to assess whether or not they need some blood many of them are healthy and can tolerate anemia or moderate degrees of anemia while you use medical therapies so that's a, I guess summarizing some of the points I've already made and the Practice point eight sort of just goes over that again, you know. Um, in the majority of patients, transfusing someone over a hemoglobin of 90 is almost always considered inappropriate. And many patients with hemoglobin concentrations between 70 to 90 and even less than 70, if they're asymptomatic and not compromised, don't necessarily need a transfusion either. The decision to transfuse someone in these situations should be patient-centered. So obviously if the patient appears to be compromised, then that is not an issue. But patients who are not compromised, just because the, the number looks low and makes you feel uncomfortable doesn't necessarily mean you should need uh, jump to um, 
to pulling the trigger on a transfusion. If you do decide to transfuse, all of these patient blood management guidelines across all patient groups, uh, not just obstetric and gynaecology, the recommendation is to use a single unit transfusion and then assess the patient. So that means assess the patients for their symptoms and signs, their clinical status, not have a look at their full blood count and see how high the haemoglobin has gone up. Help the patients repair themselves. So this is what we we're talking about. Um, don't just say we're not transfusing anymore and then send them home severely anemic. There are th therapies and treatments which will definitely improve patients' ability to correct their own anemia, harness their own bone marrow, and support their cardiorespiratory systems while they're anemic, such that within a short space of time they can get themselves back into a safe range and then even back to normal in the longer term. All right. Hopefully I've given you a bit of food for thought, made you um, think about things, maybe you know about this already, although I suspect you would have probably turned off my recording by now. Um, so, if I have uh, got your interest in this topic, we probably need to move on to explaining how, what are some of the other things we can do, um, rather than transfusing people. And so the next topic is going to be on iron physiology because most of the therapies uh, revolve around that and you really do need to understand that a little bit. So you don't have to be a haematologist. I encourage you to listen to the next one when I get around to recording it, which hopefully will be really soon. I might even post them at the same time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandgoingquickcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.